Hello and welcome to the Currency Exchange, where myself, Emer Daly, and Natwiz team of FX Market Strategists helped to break down the major themes and events driving currency markets this week. Today, I am joined by our two co-heads of G10 FX Strategy, Brian Dangerfield, who is based in the US, and Paul Robson, who's based here in London. Where if there was one thing that was upsetting FX markets this week, it was certainly the US dollar which rallied about 0.8% um, uh, in world terms after Fed Chairman Powell spoke, and we saw a significant repricing in terms of market expectations for the next Federal Reserve meeting. Brian, I'm going to turn to you. What exactly did Powell say that caused a significant shift in markets? Well, thanks, Emer. Well, what Powell said was that he put a 50 basis point rate hike at the March meeting definitively on the table. You know, we had heard from some of the more hawkish Fed members talking about the possibility of whether they would consider arguing for a larger, uh, faster increment of rate hike. But that's not something that we had heard a lot from the leadership. But that changed on Tuesday when Powell gave his testimony where he said that if the totality of the data warranted it, the Fed could consider increasing the pace of interest rate hikes. And that's something that I think um, the market was really watchful for was how would Powell's tone be about not just a potentially higher terminal rate, thanks to the very strong data that we've had um, over the past month or so, but the possibility of faster interest rate hikes, larger increment hikes. What Powell effectively said was, this is something that we will consider if the totality of the data require it. And now he stressed that they haven't made a decision on this and that it's going to come down to the data. And Powell flags four data points in particular um, that he will be watching as the Fed decides for the March meeting. Two of those are likely going to be in hand for those of you listening. We're recording on Thursday morning prior to the non-farm payroll release. But he was talking about the JOLT series, which showed job openings in the U.S. came down a little bit, but not sufficiently to make you think that the labor market is any less tight. As I mentioned, the non-farm payroll report on Friday, an important indicator of labor market momentum after very strong numbers in January. And then next week's CPI and PPI data. So those four, those four data points: two employment uh, prints, uh, two employment data points, two inflation data points are key measures that he said uh, that he will be watching. And so the message from Powell was: no decision has been made, but the door is open for this reacceleration in the pace of rate hikes after just after just in the last meeting slowing from 50 to 25 basis points at the early February meeting, now uh, opening the door for a reacceleration here. Uh, and that's something that the big part of this dollar move has been a combination of stronger US economic data and resetting of Fed expectations. And Powell, by opening that door, uh, increased the potential range of outcomes uh, for the meeting, both in March and for the, the terminal rate as a whole. And so um, the dollar rallied back towards um, it, its highs seen over the last month uh, on the back of that testimony. But importantly, that testimony came before a lot of these data. I think Powell tried to make it very clear, especially the second day of testimony, that nothing's been decided yet and it's going to be all about the data. Well, I guess we see the market and dollar direction is data dependent, just like the Fed. If, you know, we talk like 25 basis points versus 50 basis points in the next meeting. It seems a little bit arbitrary. It's not that much of a difference. I mean, does it change your longer term view on the dollar direction, you know, right to the end of the year? So I think you're right to focus maybe a little bit less on the specifics of 25 or 50 and more on the broader message that's coming from the data. The data over the past month have surprised at the top sign. And I think it's an open question 
as to how much of this data surprise is being driven by a combination of either seasonal adjustment factors, um, uh, mild winter weather, and whatnot, and what the real trend of the data is. Because, you know, we spoke on this podcast a few weeks ago about this topic and thinking about how the economy, the data was showing us in November and December compared to the January data that we released in February seemed to be giving us a two-track economy. In November and December, it seemed pretty clear that moderation in uh, economic data was becoming a bit more widespread. The data that we got in January, uh, excuse me, in uh, February for January seemed to suggest that we might actually be reaccelerating. And it's, it's difficult to know with confidence which of those is the real trend, if January data are overstating the strength of the economy or if we are indeed in a real acceleration. So if the January data are effectively confirmed by upcoming months of data, then that's going to be something that I think is challenging uh, for our bearish dollar view over a multi-month perspective. But we're open to the idea that this data is indeed overstating the strength of the economy. There is still weakness in pockets of the economy, especially interest rate sensitive sectors. And as the Fed moves the terminal rate higher and continues to hike, um, that's something that could be uh, could be worsened over time. And so you have this Fed background where we have repriced hawkishly. We've done a significant amount of the heavy lifting on that front. And I think it's certainly possible that this ends up being the last hurrah of hawkishness from the Fed. But of course, that's going to be data dependent and depends a lot on how much of this data is showing us the real trend of full acceleration and how much of this is being uh, influenced by uh, other factors. Powell seemed open to that possibility, but from the Fed's risk reward perspective with inflation so far above target, it seems they're very spooked uh, at the possibility of progress on inflation, either slowing or coming to a halt. So from that perspective, um, the near-term outlook for the dollar, extremely data dependent, very difficult to have a lot of directional confidence when the volatility underlying the data have been so strong. You know, We think back to the non-farm payroll a report from last month, which beat the consensus by over double. Um, and that kind of volatility in the data makes it very difficult to have near-term conviction. But you know, over the medium term, if we do think this is the last hurrah of Fed hawkishness, um, then you also have, you know, not only is the Fed maybe lessening as a driver, a, a positive driver for the dollar over time, but also you have a much stronger global backdrop against that. Uh, you know, we have had the reopening in China, some of the economic data in China have been stronger than expected over the past couple of months. Uh, and you also have lower energy prices in Europe that I think have really helped um, stabilize growth expectations there and even help boost expectations, even in some economies where the market has been fairly pessimistic. So you have a global economic backdrop that's simply stronger uh, than it was at the at, during 2022. We were thinking a lot about dollar exceptionalism. So we don't think this is a return towards a dollar exceptionalism style. Uh, it's all one trade dollar rally. Um, but a lot of the near-term price action is going to depend on the data. And if the data continue to be strong, um, that's going to continue to challenge um, it's going to continue to challenge that that view in the near term. Right. And I really like that idea of the last route focusness and looking at kind of rates markets. We do think how much more focuses can they actually price for the Fed? So given that risk or wars, I do agree with your long-term dollar direction. Um, obviously, we cannot talk about the US dollar in a vacuum. Um, and I always think it's interesting to see, you know, which currencies are the most vulnerable to a lag of dollar strength and which are the most resilient. And Paul, I'm going to bring you in at this stage because it was the euro that was really, um, you know, stood the test of a stronger dollar this week. You know, why did the euro fare so well against a, a resurgent dollar? 
Well, I think to some respects, it's about the euro being strong against a range of uh, other European currencies. I think one of the clear themes that's uh, emerging, and I must admit one that we were a little bit slow to sort of pick up on, is this idea that there are some economies and currencies by implication that are a little bit vulnerable by central bank tightening. I think markets are increasingly focused on the cost to growth, the damage to growth, the sort of collateral damage to growth of central banks trying to get inflation back down to target. And the thing that links these economies, it's the UK, Sweden and Norway, are heavily leveraged consumers that that debt is financed on floating rate interest rates, which are moving higher. For the Europe and for the US, fixed rate mortgages, long-term mortgages are are much more common. Uh, And therefore, those economies, and Norway, Sweden, UK, seem to be uh, more vulnerable to that. What's the transmission mechanism to the the currency? Well, I think there's two things. One is simply uh, that those central banks can't ultimately tighten as much as other central banks. Other central banks, like the Fed, as um, Brian has uh, very well um, articulated, for the Fed continue to tighten. ECB continuing to do um, hawkish guidance, but the other central banks might start to to lag. It might not be a story of sort of absolute uh, differences in interest rates because certain currencies need a certain level of interest rate premium to offset each other where the risks are a little bit stronger. So central bank policy is one angle. And the other one is portfolio flow that is going to chase where growth is the strongest. And certainly if you leave Norway aside, which is a bit of an energy story, Sweden and the UK are set to have pretty low growth rates on a relative basis, uh, and that matters. Now, there are sort of pockets of sort of pushback here. The data actually for those three economies that I've mentioned has actually been relatively uh, resilient. Uh, And in the case of Sweden, the Ritz Bank, uh, the central bank has actually mentioned, referenced the exchange rate, which is really um, unusual within the sort of developed uh, nations. Now, I said at the beginning that we've been a little bit slow to sort of pick up on this theme. Uh, We prioritise the impact of lower European energy prices, boosting European demand, uh, as well as that China reopening that uh, Brian referenced a little bit earlier. Uh, We thought that they would support those three uh, economies more than they, they have. Now, ultimately, we think uh, risks about the housing market and consumers in all those three economies um, are overstated. But at the moment, uh, the burden of proof is very much with us. I guess we talked previously about just how pessimistic kind of the market seemed to be about sterling. You're talking about kind of the transmission through, um, you know, in terms of higher interest rate into UK growth. You, Where do you think kind of the sterling outlooks now has that kind of probably market pessimism be proved wrong or do we think that there's more upside to come? Well, we still hold to the same view. We think that sterling is oversold uh, relative to the the outlook. But I have to admit our sort of confidence levels, my confidence levels are starting to sag a, a little bit in, in that view. I mean, it's been a little bit frustrating. The sort of drivers of the currency that we thought were going to play out have largely played out as we had um, expected, uh, but it's this um, persistent focus on the growth impact of that Bank of England tightening that seems to be where markets uh, are, are most worried about. 
Uh, the list of drivers that we we thought that was going to see the risk premium associated with the country, uh, currency to be reduced um, have, is, is a long list. And actually, I have, I have to write them down these days because there is so many of them. It's just that the market doesn't supply the same uh, sort of importance as I do. So just very quickly, uh, EU trade relations uh, better than I think markets were fearing. Uh, the risk of a Scottish referendum taking place looks like it's been pushed out to the into the long grass. Um, a housing market um, collapse seems increasingly unlikely. A bond market collapse seems increasingly unlikely. It doesn't mean that long-term yields couldn't move higher, but we're a long, long way from where we were uh, back in the autumn. Balance of payments continue to improve. And you know, power blackouts, industrial uh, closures because of high energy prices. Well, that clearly is another dog that hasn't hasn't bubbled. Uh, but and so we we still think that at time this will have an impact, but we have to accept it's going to take a little bit longer uh, to play out than we previously expected. And as you weren't kindly brought up that um, sterling view that might not be going uh, quite uh, my way, I think I'm just going to turn the tables on you and just say. I ask you, what, what do you think about um, your currency, C3 currencies against the euro in that sort of environment? Because it feels like there's quite a lot of differentiation at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, he was talking previously about, you know, the Nordic central banks pointing out you know, currency movements. It's part of their kind of um, kind of framework. You know, EM central banks have been absolutely explicit for it. It was really a driver of their policy all of last year. And I think both a stronger euro and a stronger dollar really complicates their monetary policy outlook. We've seen rates market repricing really dramatically in terms of, in some cases, they're working up, for example, South Africa, how far they're going to need to push um, interest rates higher just to contain inflation because of the new prospect of important inflation coming through. Whereas in the CE3 region, you have markets pushing out what they actually expect those central banks who have, you know, for all purposes, kind of stop their policy tightening when they'll be able to actually start cutting, you know, very punitively high borrowing costs on their economy. So we do think it is a real kind of um, spanner in the works for these central banks to finally see real progress in bringing down headline inflation. Um, however, for us, I think, you know, just the economic costs to out of three of the C3 economies are now outright in recession, probably overweigh some of those inflationary um, concerns. So we do expect, you know, a near-term policy rate cut from Hungary, for example. We expect another from Poland going into um, going into the parliamentary elections in the autumn next year. And I have to say, you know, any central bank thinks they can cut new rates with Inflation in high double digits is probably going to see themselves come in from a lot of depreciation pressure. So we're certainly very concerned about those risks. Well, guys, on that very pessimistic note, I am going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's edition of the Currency Exchange. Please do press like just so others can find us more quickly and do subscribe so you can get the latest episode as soon as it is released. Thank you again to my two guests um, and Sarah for joining.